Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah. This is Alyssa Lee calling from Brooklyn, New York, the best city in the world. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast and thank you to Alyssa there for introducing today's show. feels apt that uh, our intro came from somebody in New York because New York is where Mr. Matt Roberts was last spotted with mine own eye and here I am looking at him on a Zoom and I could not be happier about it. Matt... Hello, welcome back. You look a, a lot less ropey than I was expecting. <laughs> How are you feeling? Hello, yeah, it's really, really good to be back and talking to you both. Yes, New York was where I got COVID, but uh, it was also where I was having an excellent time before before that happened. And yeah, it's very nice, very nice to be back after three weeks. Can't believe it. Let's just say, Matt, that we missed you. I can't believe, David, that we did podcasts, just the two of us, for how many years? Seven years? <laughs> I do not know how. I really do not. It's very important that nobody ever goes back and listens to that <laughs> that back catalogue, isn't it? All there. All there in the archive, folks, mm. if you want to go and have a listen and just realise yeah. just how good you've got it now in 2022 with Matt Roberts as part of the team. I, I mean, yes, logistically, we missed him. Because we, we did just sort of look at each other and wonder, well, what does he do now? What do we do here? Um, but also, I have just missed you, Matt, to be honest. I've got to be honest. It's uh, it's not the same without you. So, good. Oh, likewise. Yeah, you've been missed, Matt. We've, uh, we've been very worried about you, as have many of the listeners. Um, low levels of worry about me. I think David David said Catherine's got a bit of a sore throat. Matt is Matt is on his deathbed. People seem more worried about my dentistry than your cold. Mm, yes. Well, let's all do health updates, shall we, David? How are your teeth? Mouth working. So so wow. far so good. Great. I'm uh, I'm a little bit phlegmy, uh, okay, but lovely. basically fine. Uh, Matt. Yeah. Marks out of ten. Eight. I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. A little bit sluggish in the mornings, but then you said 
I've been sluggish in the morning since 2002, so... Yeah, you can live a full and happy life while <laughs> being sluggish in the mornings, Matt. You're going to be fine. Um, let's talk tennis, folks, because it's that portion of the season where tennis is sort of happening here, there and everywhere. It's it's bitty, isn't it? There's good tennis happening. There's interesting stories. Maybe it's a, a portion of the season when sort of we come into our own because it's sort of you know harder to 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 look at the uh look at a scoring app and sort of tell the story of what's happening at this portion of the season isn't it so i've 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 made us a bit of a bed there haven't i that <laughs> you two are now going to have to lie in <laughs> of telling the story of this portion of the season because it is you know it's bitty and it's not necessarily building up to anything isn't it we've got the two tour finals to come we've got the davis cup and billy jean king cup finals but still it feels like it can feel like a little bit of a slog mm. um it is the negative way of looking at this time of year there's also the way of looking at it which is it's you know you've got people winning titles for example maya sharif where this is the biggest moment of their life yeah. Um and that's really really special but it's you know just for the innocent bystander it's bitty. Mm. Do, do, do you know I, I I was a bit worried at points last week as to well what are we going to talk about next week when there aren't big tournaments on and and all this sort of thing and then I I was actually listening this morning to the the golf podcast that we all like, No Laying Up, and they've obviously got a similar situation with the golf majors having been done and and they've got a week with not the biggest tournaments in the world on. And they just said, but, you know, I actually really enjoyed the golf because I got to see players that wouldn't normally get any limelight and think about them and learn about them and see what they're like under pressure. And in our case, there were, I think, were there five tournaments this week, all all two fifty level tournaments? And as the week went on, I found myself really getting into them. And because we've got this coming up, finding out and researching about these individuals who normally would just be a name in a draw or somebody that had lost to somebody that I that I'm interested in that week, and suddenly they're they're front and center. And there's just another example of how many interesting people there are in tennis. And I think this year in particular has been interesting in that we've got events in new places. You know, I I found it quite interesting just looking at the reaction of the crowds in Seoul and Tallinn and Tel Aviv. And they were they were loving these events. They were great turnouts. And obviously these events have have replaced, you know, all the events in China, which aren't happening. Um, But I think maybe that has, on the one hand, contributed to it feeling like there's a bit of a lack of narrative. But actually, if you do watch these events, they've been they've been really well attended and and, and really fun, I think, as well to to have some events in in new places where there's a lot of enthusiasm. And the other thing that's new about um, this time of year in 2022 is that we've got Novak Djokovic playing week in week out at 250s and and 500 sort of thrashing around on the tour trying to get points wherever he can trying to ensure a, a top 20 finish end of year which will get him into the ATP finals in Turin the rules are that if you have won a grand slam in the season which obviously he did at Wimbledon you only need to finish top 20 to get yourself one of those qualification spots so whereas we've had a situation in recent years where Djokovic has been completely openly 
all about the majors and kind of only playing tour events in order to boost his chances at at majors and play himself in, into form. That's a little bit reductive. You know, I'm not saying they mean nothing to him, but but he's been pretty open about that being the the goal. We've got a really contrasting situation, haven't we? Now where you know he's playing this new event in Tel Aviv next week, and he's playing in is it Astana this week? I mean, Novak Djokovic popping up in places that probably could never have dreamed of having Novak Djokovic and and playing events on a hard court which is just something we haven't really seen from him this year because you know most of the hard court events are in countries that he wasn't allowed to enter being unvaccinated he'd he'd only played on hard courts in Dubai this year before this event this week and when you think about that sort of the best player on hard courts over the last decade or more not playing on it. We've seen him on clay and grass, obviously, but yeah, just, just kind of, just a reminder of just, yeah, he is, he is still the man. I think Novak Djokovic. Yeah, he won the title in Tel Aviv this week without dropping a set. Beat Marin Cilic six three six four. It seems that those, the the sort of whisper of a a, a wrist issue that we saw at the Labour Cup just a week ago um, seems completely put to bed. I mean, it is remarkable, David, how he can just click into gear. Yeah. Produce it, it from nowhere. It's it's it's, it's un, totally unmatched he is in that regard. Yeah, I think that's true because, uh, yes, Nadal came out and won the Australian Open, but in his first match that I saw him play ahead of that, he looked ropey and he looked like he'd got to play his way in the way that Djokovic came out last week in the Labour Cup and beat Tiafo just even took those of us that have been following his career for 15 years by surprise the way he was able to just switch it on um he he was brilliant in Tel Aviv I watched some of the highlights of his win in the final over Marin Cilic and look it's just it's a typical Marin Cilic Novak Djokovic match that they played um Cilic playing well just having his movement exposed and this is a big guy with good movement but Djokovic is a master at movement he's the best isn't he in in terms of being balanced and he just constantly looked like he got Cilic off balance and I think increasingly Djokovic is this combination of timing of potent serving but just tactically he's just a, a master of of adopting the right tactics for players and it's going to be so fascinating watching him put that up against particularly Alcaraz over the next couple of years but one or two of the others as well who are maybe going to be more explosive in just terms of being that much younger and powerful more powerful but Djokovic has not lost anything I don't think I don't I really don't and and I agree with you Catherine I think he's just um he looks really fresh too and maybe that's not surprising having not played the Australian Open and not played the US Open it's gonna it's it, it makes a very interesting platform for whatever comes next yeah, I mean, if Roger Federer's canister theory holds, then maybe the missing of the Grand Slams that he has done in 2022 won't actually hurt his Grand Slam race chances. He's just holding back that canister deployment mm. for, for a later date. And, and I think there's quite a big difference between Djokovic now, in this portion of the season, having just missed the Slam, 
to Djokovic right back in in the in the spring when he just missed a slam. I think because he didn't look fresh, did he? When he when he first came back, he did look a bit shocked I think by the whole experience in Australia and I think that affected him on court he talked about sort of emotionally mentally draining it was and it it took him a while to get back to playing his best tennis but now I think there is a real freshness about him and and an extra motivation and I think okay yeah he's he's doing what he can now for this part of the season to end it strongly make sure he's in Turin but I sort of get the feeling he's already kind of looking ahead to next year where he's hoping he'll be able to play a much fuller schedule. I'm sure he will be able to. And yeah, honestly, give give me Alcaraz Djokovic as oh. much as possible next year. I'm, I'm excited about that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we could have it next week, couldn't we? Because they're both mm. playing in Astana, which I always want to shout as if it's got exclamation marks on the end but, but of course it's a Strava that I need to shout with exclamation marks on the end which is uh, also happening next week but Astana sort of has the same cadence I, I think you can do it, it anyway Catherine I think it okay. can be a well he's playing in Astana David yeah. they're both playing in Astana <laughs> I like exclamation uh, marks <laughs> they've got quite a field in Astana haven't they Medvedev uh, Chilich again Alcaraz Rublev Djokovic, of course, Felix Auger-Aliassime, uh, Rinker's playing there. It's a, it's a heck of a field in Astana. Um, let's head to Seoul now. Um, I choose Seoul only because it is going to mark the return for us of Dialadan, a feature that uh, <laughs> nobody has missed because it didn't quite take off when I introduced it in 2021. But I've I've got high hopes for the next incarnation of Dialadan. And the reason it's returning is because Yoshihito Nishioka won the title in Seoul over the weekend. He beat Denis Shapovalov 6-4, 7-6 in the final. It's his second career title. Um, we'll talk about Shapovalov in a minute because reaching the final there is a massive result for him in the context of his year. Um, Nishioka, though, is... Such a tricksy player, isn't he? And nobody knows that better than Dan Evans, who was beaten en route uh, to the final by Nishioka. And that is his sixth loss to Nishioka out of six matches played. That is, for me, currently in the number one spot of weird tennis head-to-heads. I love it. I imagine Dan Evans feels rather differently about it. And to bring us exactly how Dan Evans feels about it is David Law and Dyler Dan. Yeah. Off you go, David. Well, I have to say this is a this is rather a diluted Dyler Dan in as much as I'm going to have to paraphrase what he said. But uh, but basically, I did um, get in touch with with him, which I think is a, a bit of a risk really, when you're asking somebody about the bloke who's beaten him six times out of six and who could be his second-round opponent <laughs> in Tokyo this week if they both win their first rounds. But I thought, you know, what the hell, I'll, I'll have a go. Um, and, and it was actually brought about because of the way Shapovalov described Nishioka in his on-court sort of ceremony interview as, as a really annoying player. I mean, he said it comp- in a complimentary fashion, but 
I think that that sums up Nishioka incredibly well for a guy who wants to attack um, in in Shapovalov's case and to a lesser extent Evans' case because Evans can attack and go to the net but he can also play patiently from the baseline. He's often talked in, about not wanting to give a point away and, and things like that. But frankly, neither of those have worked against Yoshihito Nishioka. So anyway, I, I put this to, to Dan Evans. Why is Yoshihito Nishioka such a nightmare to play? Uh, I didn't get a response for 24 hours. Uh, I had no blue tick on my uh, on my message. So I thought, I think I might have overstepped the mark here. Uh, but anyway, I'm just going to leave it there. And then sure enough, this morning, probably about an hour before he went on court for his doubles match, which he won, um, he replied with, He's very fast. He's very consistent. He plays two very different balls off his backhand and forehand. The backhand can do a lot of damage, and the forehand is is loopy and slow. And he's a good mover, is what he said. And I mean, look, you know, it. He's he is an incredible mover. When you're attacking him, Shapovalov threw the kitchen sink. I don't. I don't think Shapovalov played badly. Some of the gets that this guy makes and turns into passing shots. Wow, it was a treat to watch Nishioka this week. And didn't he beat Kasper Ruud as well? I mean, you know, these are great wins. Yeah, he's um, he's had some really good wins. I mean, Dan Evans is not alone in 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 terms of players who. Yoshita Nishioka is is annoying. He's alone in a six and zero record. <laughs> he is. He is to that <laughs> to that degree. He, he, I'm afraid you are on your own, Dan. But yes, um, Nishioka reached the final in Washington, didn't he? And then if you if you take that run and this title run here in Seoul, the players he's beaten: Brooksby, Evans, Dimonor, Hachinov, Rublev, Rude, Shapovalov. I mean, that's that's a really strong cohort of players there um and that that, I find that description of his game very interesting from Dan Evans because if you told me if you give me that description and asked me to name who he was talking about I would have said Cameron Norrie Cameron Norrie thinking exactly the same lefty with the the very different forehand and backhand that is oft cited as the um the sort of USP of Cameron Norrie's game, isn't it? Yeah, and backed up by incredible movement and defence. And I think I think what Nishioka's got is that I think he's really creative as well. I think, yes, he's a counterpuncture, but when he wants to attack, he can attack you in lots of different ways with angles and um, coming forward. And I, I find him a real joy to watch. And I, I felt like this second title... His first one, I think, was Shenzhen a few years ago when he was a real... I think he was outside the top 100. This this feels like a confirmation now for him that he, he's better, he's playing with increased expectations. And I, I think it's a big deal for him to get that second title and just confirm now that, yeah, he is he is this good. And um, I don't... <laughs> I don't, I don't want this to be a total uh, beatdown of Dan Evans because uh, we love Dan and we're we're nobody is more grateful than me for the return of the Dial of Dan segment. Uh, but he's also got a poor record against Cam Norrie, hasn't he? Struggles against him. Two zero. So yeah, um, and 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 some Battle of the Brits matches in there as well. I think that wouldn't be on the the ATP head to head. Perhaps anyway. Very interesting, and that that was um, that 
the differential between the forehand and the backhand was something that I remember we talked about a lot with Jim Courier during the prime video coverage of uh, Cam Norrie's matches at the US Open. And Jim Courier was saying that that his advice to Cam Norrie would be really sparing about who he practices with. You know, don't practice against your rivals, against other top players, if you can avoid it, because you don't want to give the game away. If That is something that, you know, players have to get used to. And the more time they have to get used to it, the less of a weapon it will be for you, um, which I found absolutely fascinating, especially given when I asked Cam Norrie once or twice in the last year about what had changed for him with becoming a top-level player the the thing he'd said both times is, well, now I can practice with whoever I want. <laughs> you know, I can confidently walk up to anyone and, and, you know, puff my chest out and say, I'm Cam Norrie, would you like to practice with me? And I don't feel like they're going to go, who? <laughs> um, so I found all of that really interesting. Um, and I wish there was more talk about the politics of practicing and practice partners and... Oh, yeah. I'd love to know more about that. Maybe Dan Evans would like to return for Dialer Dan with yeah. some hot gossip let, about. Let us know if there's anybody practice. who works. Will Dan Evans ever practice with Yoshihita Nishioka? Is what I want. Well, to I imagine Dan would be bang up for that, but Nishioka would, <laughs> I imagine, say no. Thank you. By the way, I, I know this might sound like a bit of an excuse, but Evans did a, a San Diego to Seoul uh, trip. With a Unbelievable, bat, and that I think I think there was something like th- I don't know, thirteen hours of, of time difference or more uh, between those two. I think it's more. I think it's more like eighteen hours because um, I think it's nine hours and nine hours from us uh, before and after. And he did that. He got to the semifinals of San Diego, got on the flight, went over, and he was playing this guy. And I mean, look, he he looked great. He looked in such a physical state uh, during that match. Um, and it will be interesting if they do end up playing in the second round in Tokyo, just to see if there's anything he can turn around. Because some of the matches have been close, but he just hasn't won any of them. Mm. Nobody beats Dan Evans seven times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's wrap things up on the ATP side of things while we are there. Uh, because there was an ATP event in Sofia, Bulgaria this week. One by Marc-Andrea Husler, who beat Holger Rune 6-4, 7-6 to win his first ATP title. Um, we've gone very Tim van Rijthoven here and we are hopefully deferring to Matt Brackett's, thank goodness he's back, Roberts, <laughs> uh, for everything you could possibly need to know about Marc-Andrea Husler, who I had heard of before this week, Um in contrast to Tim van Rijthoven, who I most definitely hadn't heard of um, before the grass court season this year, but didn't know much about Matt. And I imagine our listeners might feel similarly. So pray tell. (laughs) Well, he first really came to my attention not that long ago in um, Winston-Salem, because I was, was just before the US Open and I was thinking about going big on on Jack Draper at the US Open. And then he lost in Winston-Salem to Mark Andrea Husler. And I thought, oh, OK, maybe I won't go so big on, on Jack Draper. Um, Left it to me to do that. <laughs> David did that for us. Um, but honestly, that probably wasn't a bad loss for Jack Draper because Mark Andrea Husler is a player 
on the rise. He's he's left-handed. He broke into the top 100 earlier this year in July. He's had a lot of success on the Challenger Tour over the last uh, few years. Won a couple of titles earlier this year on the Challenger Tour. Um, and he had a great run in Sofia. He beat uh, Pablo Crenia Busta, Lorenzo Mazzetti, and then Holger Runa in the final. Um, there's quite a nice Q&A with him on the ATP website, a, a sort of get-to-know-him. Um, and he was, he's quite interesting describing his game style. He says, it's hard to put me in a box, but that's what I want to be. I want to be unpredictable. I want to surprise my opponent with my decision-making. I have a really fast arm and a big serve. I'm not a player who's looking for rallies every single point. And that was very much in keeping with what I saw in the final. He, he really goes after the ball. And even in big moments, he sort of backed himself. He's clearly playing with a lot of confidence at the moment. Um, he saved match points earlier in the week in Sofia against um, Camille Majerschak of Poland. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's up to around 60 something in the world now. He's, he's Swiss. He's the first Swiss to win a, a, a title on the ATP tour since Federer. So sort of one door closes, oh, another opens. I can imagine opens. the baton passing headlines <laughs> now. They <laughs> although, write themselves. Although he's 26. So he's, <laughs> oh, he's one of those. He's one he's, of those. It's yeah. like when we thought Bertik van der Zanschulp was going to be, uh, <laughs> 18, when we yeah. first started hearing his name. We were like, where's this guy been? <laughs> and Ryan Peniston this year. That, <laughs> that really threw me. Um, <laughs> and, there's, and there was one line, which I think you'll like, Catherine, from his ATP uh, Q&A. He says that he loves animals and he travels in his tennis bag with some cat food in case any stray cats oh, should turn up. Oh, I love that. Mm. Tip Catherine ahead of Australia well, def- this year. They're definitely more likely to show up if you've got a bag full of dreamies. <laughs> <laughs> um, genuinely going to do that. <laughs> Catherine, you, you'd, like, you'd like watching this guy. I, I mean, I first time I really saw him play was, the, was that final against uh, Runa. And... I mean, I love the way he he's acknowledging his game style ahead of time, and 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 when you've watched him play, it all adds up because he is going to the net a lot. Not always mm. as a serve and volley, but sometimes as one. A lot of the time behind his his first shot after the serve, and loads of kind of off pace and drop shots, and just he was driving Runa spare. Runa's so quick and he's trying to hit the living daylights out of the ball and he's hitting great passing shots but can you do it enough times? I mean it was kind of Maxime Cressy but without the the silly determination to serve and volley regardless. Sorry, how did you, how did you just describe <laughs> Maxime Cressy's determination to serve and volley which less than 12 months ago was groundbreaking and brilliant <laughs> well, I've, I've since heard roger federer say that you just can't serve and volley anymore and that's right you know, you're wasting your energy trying so i've just i've, I've realized that maybe maybe you need to do it a bit more sparingly maxime um that's a lot of um interesting uh, Husler describing himself as having a fast arm which is something i really enjoy watching in a player that's a lot of fast arm armage on one court isn't it him and holger runa because that's what i think of with holger runa who's quite slight in frame isn't he but generates so much power from that really live right arm 
Yeah, he does. And and he had a good week. Um, he beat Sinner in the in the semi-finals. Although Sinner fell over, rolled his ankle. I, I thought hit his head on the court as well. It was all quite nasty, and it ended up having to pull out. And I think he's pulled out of the event that he was due to play next week as well. Um, he's had some bad luck this year, Sinner. He's he's that's three retirements now mid-match and a walk and a withdrawal as well um yeah I feel, I feel like I sort of feel like Sinner should be higher in the race than he is and and yet he's not and I think some retirements they've been big matches Miami quarterfinal Roland Garros last 16 Sofia semi-final you know he could have he could have pushed on in all of those events perhaps so um yeah but obviously Runa took advantage yeah it I I agree. I I was looking up the um the ATP race this week um to try and get a feel for what the field in Turin is likely to be, especially given that it's likely that there will only be seven only the top 7 will qualify given that Novak Djokovic is probably going to muscle out the uh the number 8 in the world player although Alexander Zverev is currently 8th eight, in the race and it's looking like his season might be over so um, there's still some moving and shaking to be done, but I was really surprised to see Yannick Sinner down in, in. I think he's 12th in the race and in the rankings. It's looking at the numbers; it's pretty unlikely, I think, that he'll qualify for Turin, which is a shame for him, as you say, unlucky season, but a shame for the tournament because last year they had mm. Berrettini. He had terrible luck in that tournament, but he got replaced by by Yannick Sinner, luckily, who ended up being a revelation in Turin. That was my favourite Yannick Sinner sort of coming alive. It looked like it had an electric current run through him by the by the Italian crowd. And I'm sure it'll still be a great event. You know, it's, it's a big sport in Italy at the moment, tennis, um, and they'll have a good field. And I suspect they will absolutely fall in love with Carlos Alcaraz. But yeah, that's the first time I really processed the fact that there probably won't be an Italian in the field, which given all the talk around Italian men's tennis is is a shame. You'd expect it to be temporary and uh, Italians to return in future years, but um, that is a bit of a shame. Um, last line from Sophia is that for the first time, an all-female chair umpire team was assigned to an ATP tour event. Um, and in addition to that, the ATP supervisor, the tournament director, the referee and the chief of umpires were also female. And that sounds like it can't have been an accident or a coincidence. Maybe maybe one element of it was, was and somebody saw an opportunity to do something cool. Um, and it is cool. Great. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Moving on then to the two women's tournaments that we had last week. We had a new event in Tallinn. Uh, in Estonia, where an Estonian reached the final, Annette Kontovent, she was beaten by Barbora Krejcikova, 6-2, 6-3, her first singles title of the season. Krejcikova, goodness me, that's, I think that's pretty huge for Barbora Krejcikova, actually, that result. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think it's massive, actually. I'd sort of not forgotten about her, but I had, I was no longer factoring her into the top, players that we talk about and considering the results she had last season the consistency she'd showed last season that was a bit surprising I guess but gosh she found her form this week I mean I watched her play Benchik in the semi-finals absolutely stunning three-hour match and then she was brilliant in the final just played at such a high level first player to beat Annette Contivate on an indoor hard court since 2020 it was a 24 match streak that Contivate was on indoors um obviously that was those were most of her wins over the last sort of year she'd been so good on an indoor hard court but Craig Chikova really found some of her best level and she beat Tomjanovic, Benchich, Hadabmeyer, Kostyuk and Contivate to win the title a, a very very strong run there and yeah she she looked like the player she was you know 18 months ago again um and and a really cool event in that you had Contivate play Kanepi in the semi-final both Estonian and I've I've heard our sort of colleagues on the WTA tour often talking about what a big deal Contivate and Kanepi are in Estonia and how they get a lot of coverage and attention and they're very popular and um the prime minister of estonia was there for the for the coin toss at the start of the match it was it was like a it was a big big deal so that was that was cool that both of those two players who've sort of been really great for estonian tennis both showed up and and, and played really well by the way on Krishigova, it it strikes me that she is somebody that doesn't get talked about at the start of events much even after winning the French Open 
Uh, I, I, and this is including by me. I don't tend to notice her when I'm looking at the predictions and all that sort of thing. Obviously, this week I, I happened to go massively on somebody that uh, that was about 20 to 1 outsider because I'm trying to catch up in the newsletter standings. That lasted all of an hour before she lost. Anyway. Tell everyone who you went for last week, uh, David. Zanevska. You don't name. know her first name, do you? <laughs> Marina, I think. Oh, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, in in Parma, she played against um, Maria Sacri and won the first set six two, and then lost. Um, but anyway, what what had been striking my attention was that you'd got three players in Contevate, Bencic and Sacri, who are all been top five players, but have never reached, I don't think, a Grand Slam final. Any of them, and I was sort of curious as to whether any of them ever would. And I was expecting one of those to win a title this week. And none of them did. And here comes Barbara Krachigova, who's had a terrible time, really, this year because of, of the wrist injury that she's had. And um, and I, I just think, you know, we were, I think we were speculating earlier on this year whether she would ever come again and be a massive factor at a big t- tournament again. And I think maybe... I mean, I'm still on the fence about it. I, I don't th- think that just because she's won this tournament makes me think she will. But fundamentally her game is is strong and a lot of a lot of my view of her comes down to what i think the effect of already reaching the mountaintop will have and and obviously there's the the injury element too but maybe she's just regrouping now and 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 going to become a factor again next year because she's such a good player and she and maybe because she's already done it that pressure maybe is off unlike for those other women yeah, that's a good point. And I, I've always thought Barbara Krachikova should be a force at Wimbledon. I think she can play on grass. Um, she lost out to Ash Barty, didn't she, last year? Um, I think I'd, I think I'd gone quite big on her in predictions. Anyway, and you know, as as with the men, slightly less so than in the men's, where it's such a closed shot. But you know, Shvontek has not figured grass out yet. It's it's it's. It, it it's it's for those that can play on grass it is such an edge to have um and somebody that's already won a slam knows how to do winning and is comfortable on that surface and is kind of overcome or doesn't have a, a mental hurdle on it as so many do i i think she can be a force there if she can get a get a run of fitness together mm. um let's move on to Palmer, which was the scene of David's Hail Mary prediction for this week. If you want to see what I think will be a weekly Hail Mary prediction from David for the remainder of 2022, sign up to the newsletter. Um, you're going to go big this week, David? I mean, I've, I think the problem is when you when you go big as early as I started going big, you get so far behind that you've really got no alternative other than to go big if you want to catch up. The only caveat to that is if you start wanting to just feel what winning feels like and you you just want to get four points for the week by going Novak Djokovic to win, which is was an option for me and one I declined. So I suspect I'll be continuing to go big. OK. Well, I went for Yannick Sinner, who, in, um, in Matt's words, fell over <laughs> uh, on what should have been his run to the title. Disappointing. Uh, in Palmer, 
This is an amazing story. Maya Sharif beat Maria Sakari 7-5-6-3 to become the first Egyptian to win a title on the WTA Tour. She had to play twice in one day. Uh, she beat Anna Bogdan in the semi-finals and then Maria Sakari. And that was a blooming long semi-final. I think two hours and 50 minutes to beat Bogdan of former backhand list fame. Is that right, Matt? She's now... She's she's on the subslet bench for the backhand list. Ditched. Yeah, Bogdan out, Goff in was a US right. Open backhand list development. Right, okay. She's uh, responding re- though, Bogdan. She's bringing it <laughs> since she's been bumped <laughs> off the list. Uh, Reem Abalil in Arab News writes of Sharif. Uh, the victory was Sharif's first against a top 50 opponent. She was 0-10 against top 50 players coming into the final. She's the first WTA player from her country to crack the top 50, the first to win a match at a Grand Slam, and now the first to win a title on tour. It's it's an amazing story um, and the perfect example of somebody that that makes this bitty portion of the year feel like it matters and feel really cool. Um, I remember first becoming aware of Maya Sharif in a match that she played and almost won at the French Open a couple of years ago. Now, I can't remember who it was against. Pretty Pliskova. sure it was on Chatrier. Pliskova, that sounds like something that Pliskova would would have been involved in. Um, but we were all wowed by her game, weren't we? And her pluckiness and her attitude. And I hope it's not really reductive and obvious to say that she must have been inspired by by Ons Jabeur from from neighbouring Tunisia and what she's done with her game, the barriers that she's broken down and and the trail that she's blazed. I mean it's it's brilliant to, to see that already. Well she's she's pretty straightforward about that and, and and backing up that view, Catherine and and she says look we have a lot to offer we have we have a talent and um and she talks in a similar way to Jabur in terms of wanting to trailblaze wanting to be this this door opener for for others and and to to be able to display the talent that is is over there and um what what I also enjoyed about Reem's piece and interview with her, I think she spoke to her on the phone after this win, and was how she was regarding the two fifty win, not only as an opportunity to to sort of announce her arrival and and to get a win, but as a stepping stone. She she says this is as soon as I won this, I was thinking about the next thing, and I think that that is a thing, an element to to wins like this and to weeks like this. We can look at five winners here. Okay, Novak Djokovic is not one of them because he wins all the time and at much higher levels and and has done for years. But there's a number of players there that I will be looking out for now in future weeks and years. Not only the winners, but Denis Shapovalov finally having a good good run to a final. Holger Rune having a good week, but then all these new names Husler and um and Sharif and and Krishikov are back to form and you know the this is what these weeks are about as well and and I think Sharif is is going to be an interesting one to watch as a result of that because of having broken new ground for herself by beating a top 50 player as well one of the things I like about her is that she's got a real identity as a player in that Watching her this week, I had exactly the same feelings and thoughts as I had watching her 
the very first time. I think it's very clear what she's good at. And I think I think Clay's probably her best surface because she hits a very loopy topspin forehand. And it, it's that shot which really stands out. And she can disguise it and hit a nice drop shot as well. And that, and that word you mentioned, Catherine, grit. She's got real fights. And to come through not only a epic against Bogdan, but to then back it up against Zachary, I thought was really impressive on that on that day. And yeah, she's the sort of player who I would have thought that other players would want seeded at the French Open. You know, you're not going to want to face her, especially early in a slam, I think, especially on clay. Um, yeah, so really interesting to watch how, if she can, back this up now. Um, but I, I do think we need to talk about Maria Sakkari mm. because, wow, there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of baggage there now with her. Let's talk about that. Maya Sharif and Maria Sakkari have now won the same number of career titles. Mm. Wow, Maria Sakkari both two fifties, both two fifties, and it was back in 2019 in Rabat that Sakkari won her one and only career title. Now, obviously, she's had fantastic results since then and you know she she's a top 10 player she's been a top five player Indian Wells finalist this year there are lots of positives about Maria Sakkari some people around tennis podcast towers made very big predictions about Maria Sakkari this year on the basis of you know the incredible improvements (laughs) that she'd made this year or in the past couple of years but it does feel like there's a bit of a baggage tipping point starting to happen. Now, obviously, reaching a final is a big deal for her. First final since Indian Wells. You know, she's not been getting anywhere near finals for the past few months. And yet it still feels like there are negatives from this week. I feel like the tone of this conversation is going to be one of concern rather than positivity am i am i right there yeah i i think so i mean we talk about sakari as someone who struggles to close don't we in terms of in, in matches that's when she can get quite tight that sort of quite stiff game style that she's got and can sometimes get a bit exposed under pressure when she's in the lead trying to close out matches and i think we sort of saw that on a slightly bigger scale in terms of this tournament. She was the favourite. You know, she was clearly the best player in that field in terms of her her sort of standing in the game. And she didn't play anyone ranked in the top 70 in this tournament. Uh, obviously, Sharif is now, has now jumped. But, you know, Zachary would have, I think, expected herself to win this this title. And... She did not play well in the final. You know, as, as good as Sharif was and was doing a lot of good things, Zachary was repeatedly up a break in, in the first set. She ended up losing her serve four times in the first set, Zachary, and just couldn't close. And then was up a break again in the second set and couldn't couldn't close it. And she's she's now won only one of her six finals. She, we know she's lost a lot of semifinals as well. And... I don't want to be harsh because, as you said, it is kind of a step forward and she has been very open about the sort of struggles she's had of being a top player and the pressure that comes with that. And I do think it's a real process for her and it's it's going to take a bit of time. And I really back her work ethic and her drive to... I think she'll get there. But 
whether she'll ever overcome this problem, this this closing problem, I'm, I'm beginning to doubt, to be honest. And it's not necessarily that she gets tighter than anyone else or she, her her nerves are less robust than anyone else. It might be that. There's absolutely no way to measure that. Um, but I, I believe the most significant problem is just that her technique kind of just isn't built for tightness. Her Her game kind of falls apart when her arm gets heavy uh, and and when she starts gripping the racket more tightly um which is interesting because she's not got a loose game generally has she you know her she is extremely sort of sinewy and um what's the word that I'm looking for that's this a word other than a synonym for tight anyway I think you know what I'm saying um but yeah my understanding on the technical side of things from people that know better than me is that you know a little bit like with Alexander Zverev's second serve when when things get tight and I believe similar with Grigor Dimitrov the technique is fine when everything's going well but when things get get tight and you just inevitably you know from what I gather, all players do get tight. It's about how your technique stands up to that. And I think she's she's got a problem on on that front. And yeah, I don't see I don't see any signs of improvement. And baggage collects. Baggage collects quickly and I'm I'm a bit worried. Yeah, I think you've you've reason to be. Uh, and actually, she found herself a set down in all of the first three matches she played last week. So <laughs> You can certainly look at that as a positive, that she dug herself out and still won those matches. I think that takes a lot of mental strength, but that's not really what we're talking about. She, You'd expect her to rediscover her form at some point in the next few months and become the player that handles those first few rounds easily again. But what happens when she gets to the sharp end? And how do you overcome that? I'd, I'd, it's something that I'd love to dig into a little bit with some some champions with some coaches and mm. to find out what can you do what can you do to 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 overcome these things because she's not the only one there are players like Felix Ogialiasin that we've seen over the last couple of years and and many others and yeah I'd love to know but pop it on the agenda for the next dialer dan segment <laughs> david um I mentioned uh Astana and the great field uh that they've got happening next week. Uh there's also an ATP event in Tokyo. They've got a pretty great field as well, to be honest. Casper Rude, Francis Tiafo, Dyla Dan Evans, Nick Kyrgios, Borna Choric, Taylor Fritz, uh Yoshihito Nishioka. Um, and one of nine Japanese players all in the draw in Tokyo. Uh, that's a 500 event. So uh, that's going to be very interesting. In terms of the WTA, they are in Ostrava. <laughs> uh, round one matches there include Dari Kazakina against Emma Raducanu, Shelby Rogers against Barbora Krejcikova, Elena Rabatkina back in action against Madison Keys, Carolina Mukova, who, um, whisper it very quietly, seems to be fit. Um, I know, David just 
raised his eyebrows as high as I've ever seen them go. Uh, I believe for the moment, I hope I haven't jinxed her, Karolina Mukova is fit and that is good news for tennis. She faces uh, Beatrice Haddad Meyer in round one in Estrava. Uh takes the top seed. She could face Zhang Shui in her first match. Uh, Paula Bedosa, the second seed. She could face Petra Kvitova in her opener. These matches are a joke in the first round, aren't they? they? <laughs> aren't they? Absolutely ridiculous. Um, there's also a WTA tournament in Monastir in Tunisia this week. A uh, brand new tournament in uh, Onsjabur's country. She's the top seed in her home country. I think it's going to be amazing See, it seems there. It's the first year of the event uh, and Reem Abilil, uh writes that as well as being an inspiration generally, Ons was instrumental in introducing IMG, who owned the tournament sanction for this week, to the head of the Tennis Federation in Tunisia, who said he wanted to do it. So that is extremely real palpable legacy and change that that Ons Jabeur is making in in that part of the world and in the tennis world and it's just brilliant I think it's going to be super cool to see Ons Jabeur play at home because we talk a lot about how big a deal her success is and how celebrated she is but I think actually seeing it uh, is going to be very special and seeing how she she copes with it you know very interesting. Yeah, because it's not not easy, is it, to sometimes carry this stuff? Although she seems to carry it so lightly, doesn't seem to weigh on her so far. But I I was thinking back to when Stefano Sitsipas first came on the scene, how much he wanted a tournament in Greece, and uh, and now to to have this, as you say, this legacy immediately. And and Jaber is too too modest to to really take credit for it coming there, and she sort of brushes off that idea that it's all because of her but I mean you know the the scenes that we've had this year with her reaching two Grand Slam finals she has put the sport on the map and in front of people's eyes to such an extent that that I'm sure the reason that it's happening is because of her and and I, and it is. It's going to be a joyous experience to watch it. I can't wait to watch it. I mean, the uh, the in that interview or that that article Reem wrote, she she was speaking with I think Vicky Gunnison from IMG who runs the events, and and they were saying that they've they've just converted a resort into the home of this tournament, and they've got they've been, they've they've built a two and a half thousand seat stadium just for this, and they've got a couple of other courts as well, a couple of other show courts, and. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it could be quite something this time next week once we've got a chance to look back on it. Yeah, agreed. Um, one other bit of news for you. I mentioned Igor Shiontek there being the top seed in Ostrava this week. She has announced via Instagram, of course, uh, that she is not going to be playing for Poland at the Billie Jean King Cup Finals in Glasgow in November. Her reasoning is thus. She says, I was thinking it through a lot and discussing it with my team all over again, but I will not be able to play at the Billie Jean King Cup in Glasgow, and it makes me sad. I'm very sorry because I play for Poland whenever it's possible and I always give my best. Playing in Poland this year was an honour and I hope to do this again at the end of the season. I'm disappointed that tennis governing bodies didn't come to an agreement on something as basic as the calendar 
of tournaments, giving us only one day to travel through the globe and changing the time zone. This situation is not safe for our health and could cause injury. I'm going to the talk to the WTA and ITF in order to change something. This situation is difficult, not only for the players like me, but mainly for the tennis fans that support our sport. And what she's referring to is the WTA finals, which we know are taking place in Dallas, Texas. Um, The final of the finals is due to take place on Monday, the 7th of November. And Poland are scheduled to play the USA on Wednesday, the 9th of November in Glasgow at 4pm UK time. Um, That scheduling could also affect Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff, who are very likely to qualify for the finals in Dallas. And it's a six-hour time difference between Dallas and Glasgow, west to east. Uh, I think we can all uh, vouch for being a very different time zone change to to cope with. These are all completely valid reasons for for Igor Svantec. I get it. I think it's a, a terrible, terrible shame and a blow for the tournament. I wish... I wish... She were playing both, um, but I I do get the reasoning. Um, David's been in touch with the ITF for a response, which is as follows. The ITF had already, already announced our dates and venue for the 2022 Billie Jean King Cup finals. We were in close contact with the WTA and working together, but they had challenges with available dates for the WTA finals venue. We collaborated last year and were able to schedule back-to-back. As a result of this, the ITF has had to review its own match schedule for the Billie Jean King Cup finals to help teams with players who are likely to play deep into the WTA finals. Not ideal, but we have done what we can and and that is in our power. David Haggerty and Steve Simon had already been in contact with the Polish Polish Tennis Federation and national team management earlier this month on this matter. We will continue to work with the WTA to ensure this doesn't occur again in future years. Um, Look, it's clearly not an an ideal schedule, is it? It's, It's not ideal. As with anything, you know, if you're starting from scratch, total blank canvas with tennis in its calendar... It doesn't look anything like what it currently looks like. At the end of the year, at the start of the year, we would make infinite changes if we could. And I think most of tennis would, you know, add in the the stance that the WTA has taken on, on China and the, the fact that they're sort of piecemealing together these significant events at the end of the year. We, we're just glad they're happening, aren't they? We're glad that they have Hologic as a sponsor. I know Hologic were keen for the WTA finals to happen in the US. I understand all of that. I think it's brilliant that the Billie Jean King Cup finals are going to Glasgow. All of these individual things are brilliant, but it's also just absolutely not how you'd design it if you had a blank canvas and had everyone's best interests in mind. And that is tennis be tennising, David. And particularly... In in this era, where it's cu- coming back from the worst of the pandemic, and it's dealing with the situation around Peng Shui and the WTA pulling out of China, and and a, a stance that I certainly support, and um, rebuilding a tour based on those factors. And this WTA finals in Dallas was was only announced 
few weeks ago. It's not long ago. They've had to leave it very late in order to make it work. And then it's a question of fitting all of this stuff in. That's the problem. And I think last year the Billie Jean King Cup finals happened first and there was about three days, three or four days between the two. And then WTA finals overlapped with the ATP finals. Again, not ideal, but what can you do? You've got to just make the best job of it you can. And I I do see Sriantek's point absolutely, as you say, that that is such a swift turnaround. If you want to go deep and go all the way in the WTA finals, can you really make it work? Well, I suppose I've got Billie Jean King in my mind when I consider those sort of things and the traveling that she would have done back in the day in order to make things work and to keep the tour on the road. And Chris Chris Everts and Martina Navratilova, they, they made very difficult decisions about what was good for them and not because of the, the good of the tour. And that's not to criticize Igor Sviantek. I, I, I see both sides, but, but I, I think that there may be one or two. It'd be interesting to see what Pagula and Goff do, whether they both play or whether one of them plays both of them or neither of them. It, it's going to be interesting, but, but I think it, it also has to be taken as, and it sounds like the ITF are, are, are going to try to sort something out for the future as best they can, but it also has to be taken seriously. They have to listen to Sviantec. They have to talk to her. I believe they already have been in touch with her team. And that's important because if the top player in the world is saying this, then that's not ideal and it has to be addressed somehow. Yeah, hear, 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 hear. Um, I think that's about it for tennis this week. Uh, I've covered what tournaments they're going to be next week. I'm quite looking forward to this week, actually. There are some... Some good, some good tennis in prospect, and that's that's what that's what we're all here for, <laughs> fundamentally, isn't it? Um, we have a mascot this week, folks. It is Buddha. Uh, Buddha is a black and white cat, and Buddha. I'm looking at a picture of Buddha now. Has my favourite and most important quality in a cat, which is. Uh, he looks indignant, which is which is really what I look for in a feline. Uh, really loving his facial expression. He's got his paws crossed. Um, he's like, you're making me pose? Okay, I'll play your game. But yeah. we all know who's in charge here. I've Big s- fan. I've seen that facial expression on these mm. Zoom conversations before. Mm. Yeah, it's a great energy. I mean, not for anybody in your, your company. But uh, anyway, uh, Buddha is owned by Sarah Matthews. So thank you, Sarah, for bringing lovely Buddha into our lives. We have our own mascots. David has Darwin, lucky Darwin, getting all the Hail Marys. This week, Darwin, this week. uh, I've got Carter and Matt has got the dearly departed (laughs) Gerald. Um, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss we have our executive producers and top blokes Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner and Matt is back so that means shout outs are too take it away Matt we have Matt Dick in Falkirk Scotland I'm going to leave that alone alright Matt Falkirk, anybody been to Falkirk? I don't think I have I haven't. I'm no. sure it's great. Hello, Matt. We love Matt's here at the Tennis Podcast. We sure do. We, we wanted one back. We got two. Brilliant. <laughs> We've also got Wright Brian in Washington, D.C. 
I knew that was going to be America. Again, love that. It's the sort of name that just doesn't happen in boring old Blighty. No. <laughs> in, in Blighty, right, right, you'd be Brian Wright. <laughs> you would. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Hello, Wright. Thanks love very it. much for being our friend. we got a friend called Wright. Love it. And last one today is Joseph Ha. We know Joseph. Joseph we is... We know Joseph. Originally from South Dakota, but now living in Shinzu in Taiwan. Oh, definitely mm. my favourite of the of the two Dakotas. That one. <laughs> uh, thank you, Joseph. Cheers, Joseph. Um, thank you, everybody, for your support. If you would like a shout out, uh, then become a friend of the tennis podcast. The details of how to do so are in our show notes same goes for the intro so thank you uh, ever so much for your support thank you for Alyssa for doing our intro today to Buddha to all of our mascot shout outs executive producers you make this podcast happen so thank you and we will all be back brackets health permitting uh, in a week's time we'll speak to you then <laughs>